On today's show, we'll look at the middle infield player pool and deep dive a bunch of undervalued players, plus a discussion on KDS, trivia, and injury updates. Mike Gianella of Baseball Prospectus joins us next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruvane Guy. How are you, Ruvane? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and I usually don't do this, but uh, do ask that uh, if you guys are enjoying the Beat the Shift podcast uh, this year, please, please, please do give us a uh, nice review on the online podcast aggregators. really helps us. I got some really great feedback about the shows in January, uh, so uh, we hope to continue that. But yeah, if you have any comments, let us know. Um, give us some good reviews, and there you go. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, we enjoy doing this. We hope you guys enjoy listening to it, and let us know. All right. So we've got a really great episode today. We're going to cover some middle infielders. And to do so, from Baseball Perspectives, please welcome Mike Gianella. How are you, Mike? Ariel, Ruben, I'm doing well. How are you both? Doing fantastic. Doing yeah. Uh, Mike is the reigning Tout Wars and Labor champion of his own division that he runs. So uh, we've got some good company. Not bad. Congratulations, Mike. Oh, well, thank you very much. It was a, it was a good year. They don't always shake out that way, but I'm very happy with the way it, it turned out. Cross our fingers and hope that happens once again. So, as we do on the show, we jump right into it. And I want to talk a little bit about KDS, the Kentucky Derby-style selection for your draft position. For those who don't know, uh, instead of randomly assigning a 1, 2, 3 to, let's say there's 15 teams in a league in a snake draft, you get 1 through 15. Instead of randomly assigning it, it randomly lets you pick a, your preferences. Uh, so what happens is you you tell the system, oh, I prefer to be in this seven hole, then the eight hole, then the twelve hole, then the fifteen hole, and the KDS will randomly select who gets to have their highest priority, and then who gets to have their next highest priority, and that's how it selects. So you can do a little bit of choosing of your slot. You don't just have to randomly get something. Um, at uh, PitchCon this past week, uh, great job by PitcherList for doing that and raising money for ALS. They were talking, there was one session that was talking about KDS. I think it was Derek Van Riper, and he was saying he loves drafting at the end uh, because that's the most like an auction. That's the most like a, what we, uh, the new term salary cap draft. Um, do you find that's true, Mike? Uh, and if so, and if not, you know, what is your general preference as to where to draft, uh, what slot to draft from? Well, I, I don't think it is. I, I was interesting when this question came through on the rundown, uh, you know, just, just because, I mean, there's a lot of approaches to an auction, but but the three most common ones are, are a tiered approach where, you know, you, you take a player, you know, at say 40 and then the next one at 32, or we have a structured a stars and scrubs where you, you take three, four really top players and then you fill out at the end. And then a balanced roster, which is sort of like the tiered approach, but no one expensive. Um, I don't think being on the ends really puts you that much closer to these approaches. You, you do get the perceived best player if you have the number one pick um, or, you know, close to number one, but really only in one round. Um, I, I'd say if you're you're looking for something that's close to an auction or salary cap draft, maybe being in the middle 
put you closer to a tiered or balanced roster approach. So, I, I mean, I, I don't really see it. I mean, maybe I, I just didn't think about it long enough, but I, I don't necessarily think being like at 130 or 15, 16 feels like an auction to me. Yeah. Do, do, do you have a preference as to what slot you pick from? And does that make a difference for this year, 2023? Is Is it any different than your general standard? I generally don't have a preference. Uh, I, I don't like being either on the wheel or in the middle. So my, my slight preference is maybe even a 15-teamer being 3-5 to five or 11-13 to 13 in the first round. It, it sort of gives you that balance of having some control of the board where you're not right in the middle and you're waiting a long, long time, but also not being on an end where you're, you're waiting a super long time for, for your picks. Um, and, and I feel that way you get to watch like what – you know, two or three of your opponents are doing. And, you know, other part of that question is no. I, I usually just go for, for the top pick in a KDS-style draft and, and mostly go down sequentially with some minor differences. Uh, but last year was an exception. Last year, I, I had Mike Trout very close to number one in my rankings. So I was shooting for picks in the 10 to 12 range, looking at what his ADP was last year. Uh, this year, I, I have Aaron Judge ranked number one, and, and I'm not really going to get cute with that. I'm going to probably just go go for Judge for the top spot and, and not too, too much messing around with, with KDS. All right, Ruvain, uh, what is your general preference, and does it differ for 2023 drafts? Well, my preference, I think, is toward the middle of the draft between uh, picks six and nine, only because I can get the best view as to what's going on during the, during the entire draft, not just the first couple of rounds. You get to see the landscape. You usually get either start or be in the middle or toward the end of some runs, so you see exactly what's going on. And that's why I don't think um, being at the end is like having an auction, because if you're at the end, it's not an auction at all. You have to reach sometimes. You have to pick what you don't want to, and that's not what an auction is. An auction, you can bid on any player you want. You can go at it any way you want to. This year, though, instead of going in 6 to 9, I'm thinking about going earlier on, only because... I'm looking at the current ADP, and I'm seeing the top pitchers falling out like the end of the second round, beginning of the third round, that type of thing, and like the pitchers that I that I want. And I think it would be a better idea to get a top hitter, another top hitter, and then go for one of the pitchers that I like. It just happens to be the way the ADP is falling, and I think that's the way it's falling this year. So my preference in general is to have a uh, is to, is to have the middle pick. I very much prefer that. Um, and there's, there's several reasons for that. I mean, first of all, number one, I, I like to, I'm a value drafter. My goal is to draft and accumulate the most value along the way. And it's far easier to do that in the middle. I think, I mean, like, let's say to, to illustrate that, let, you know, let's say you're in the eighth round, right. And you have a player that you really like a lot more than ADP, right. If you're at the end, you sort of have to grab him. Otherwise you're going to lose him. He's not going to survive 30 picks. If you're in the middle Maybe you can take a chance because you only have to survive 15 picks. Or if you grab him, well, you've gotten him a half a round later than if you were in the beginning of the round. So you're basically gaining half of that half a round or maybe even a whole round if you wait and get him. You're, you're gaining the value in little bits along the way. And I know people take a look and say, oh, I want, really want this guy in the first round. It's not really just about the first round. I think you're accumulating more value along the way. You can, you can control stuff more. It also has to do with the fact that, that in Snake Draft there are runs. And if there's a closer run and you know, you've, you've just picked, you're, 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 at, you're at the end, you, you did not pick a closer, all of a sudden all the closers go, you could be shut out of a, of a price tier for closers or for you know, whatever position. Um, it's a lot easier not to 
lose out on runs if you're picking in the middle because there's always somebody a couple picks later. So that's another reason why I think it makes it easier. And, you know, you want to make everything easier for you. I also think that um, it's also an information imbalance. When you're picking in the middle, you know, it pick comes to you, you make a selection. But when you're in the end, it comes to you and you have to make two selections. So you're, you have the same amount of information coming to you, but you have to make two decisions instead of one. So it's a little bit of an information balance. You get more information about the draft if you're in the middle. So there's a lot of reasons I like. It really depends on the year. If I really like the top one or two pick or four picks, maybe there's a reason to do that. Sometimes I'll tilt a little bit more. I'll say, all right, I, I like the I like the end more than the beginning. So you know, if I'm going to pick, let's say the middle pick is eight, I'll do eight, nine, ten, as opposed to eight. Nine seven, like instead of hovering over the middle, I'll tilt a little bit towards the middle. But in general, I'll do that. This year, I really don't see a huge reason to go first, so I'm probably going to stay more towards the middle, if any. Anything else to add? Nope. I th- I, th- I think I think you nailed it perfectly. I think it all only comes down to our person's preference, and I really think that everyone there is no wrong place to draft. Only bad strategies that don't work because you don't plan properly based on where you're drafting. All right, so we're going to talk about middle infielders on today's show. And just to set up the player pool, I know last week we talked about with uh, Frank Stample about a uh, position being deep. And deep is defined as, you know, if you go a couple of picks down, the value of the, you know, seventh, eighth player, if it's a deep position, it's going to be worth more than seven, eight picks down, the value of a shallow position. Uh, so question to you, Mike, let's just set up. Is middle infield the deepest position this draft season? Uh, probably, but I'll offer the qualifier. It's, it is because of second base. So second base is very deep. Like, it, it goes down pretty far. I, I look at players even in a 15-team league where I'm like, oh, like, these are some solid options, you know, even as, even as my you know third middle infielder. Uh, shortstop has a lot of potential high-end option, but options but falls off quickly. And what's really tricky at short is you have players like O'Neill Cruz and, and Wander Franco, who certainly could, you know, provide you with some, you know, great stats. But there's also, you know, a good deal of risk in those players as well. So I think there's two things at play. I think there's the deepness where you have a lot of players early. So I, I find that shortstop is deeper than second base in the sense that the whole middle of the range is a lot more rich in shortstop. So, for example. The seventh best shortstop I have valued at $20. The 19th best shortstop is valued at $13. So you've got 12 players at the position at shortstop within a $7 span. Uh, and, and that's about six to seven rounds worth of ADP. That's a huge, huge span of value, and it's very, very rich with, rich with players. The other thing at play is the bottom of the pool, where you have the replacement level, and their second base is so much prevalent. So maybe maybe let's not call it deep. Maybe let's call it having a wider bottom. Um, so second base has, has those really good options at the bottom uh, where, you know, if, if, you, if you miss out on second base, even if you miss out on middle infield, you know, your dollar middle infield could be worth a couple dollars because there's just so many of them at the bottom, including including multi-positional. There's a lot of multi-positional players. Do, do you think, Mike, that, that it suggests that you can really go a dollar for second base if there's so many of those at the bottom? Well, I mean, you can, although th- this is an interesting question because and I don't want to move too far off second base, but 
a lot of this, you know, I know you're a value person, Ariel, I'm a value person. It really comes down to what else you get in your draft, right? So, you know, if, if there's better values coming in somewhere else and, and they don't happen to be second baseman, I don't really have a problem taking that final second baseman at the end of the draft and say the 23rd round of, of a, you know, of a straight draft with, with no reserve list if it happens to be a second baseman. Um, there's another piece of this too, which is, you know, we know, I, I think in your rundown, you mentioned ATC has 37 second basemen who are a dollar or more. Not everybody is going to have the same opinion as ATC or, you know, my opinion or whatever else. So if somebody takes a second baseman who's under a dollar on your list, it means you're going to do a little bit better. Um, you're not gonna do a lot better, but you might get somebody who's worth three or four dollars. So I, I really don't have a problem, you know, waiting if it it comes to that. Um, and and so it really depends on your trade off. Like like to use an example from last year, um, in Tout Wars in fifteen team mixed draft, I got Alec Bohm late at third base, um, and I wasn't in love with Alec Bohm, but it was more like well, there were some earlier draft slots where I like the players better there than than the third baseman. So I, I was comfortable with my own acumen be like, well, I'll just wait and see what I get and I'll, I'll take the superior values. Um, I, I feel like it has less to do with what you're getting at second base for a dollar and what you're getting elsewhere. And you, you allude to this, I, I would also say, watch what other people are doing. So you know, if, if Max Muncy and Brandon Drury are being used at, at third base, um, and instead of second, now there's two fewer second basemen to choose from at a dollar. So you want to make sure to be a little bit careful not to assume that you have that comfort level. That's true. Ruben, thoughts? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with Mike saying you can't really wait until then. Because if you look at the top of the list of the middle infielders, five out of the ten uh, players with the most played appearances in all of baseball were in the middle infield. You have Semyon, Lindor, Turner, Bichette, Swanson. Those are stable guys. Those are guys who are compilers. If you want this middle infield, because it's so deep and, and, and the top is, is very heavy, you have to be sure to get one of those guys so you can have that compiler on your team because you're not going to get it somewhere else. I mean, th think about that. It, it's, just, it's just a crazy amount of plate appearances and at-bats, and that's what you're looking for during the course of the season. You need as many at-bats as you can because you need to compile as many stats as possible. Yeah, a few things before we move on. I just want to say that uh, for second base, where we have that very, what I call, wide bottom, um, I do think, though, that once, you know, once you're past a certain point, once you're past a certain point in the, in the draft, you can wait it out. You know, there are, it's always about priorities, in the draft, you know, should I get the third baseman? Should I get the pitcher? Should I get the closer? Should I get the catcher? There's always priorities because there's so many second base at a certain point, which is very, very late. When it reaches a certain point, you can then say, ah, "The heck with second base. I'll prioritize something else because there's there's just so many available." It's not true higher up. I and mean, if you want a second baseman that is valuable, you do need to prioritize it early. But once you reach a certain point. And there you go. Uh, it's just a reflection on what the second base pool looks like. Shortstop is very different. Shortstop, you do have to make sure you get something before you reach the bottom, I feel. But there are so many in the middle because it's very deep uh, higher up, right? Higher up, in, in, in there's a very big middle section, as I alluded to. Um, so the priority is going to be much, much less for for shortstop in that range right because every because when you when you come to that that range let's say we're uh, pick 100 there are plenty of shortstops around 
And the pressure, it's all about economic pressure in a, in a draft. The pressure for shortstop isn't all that great because if you wait three rounds, you'll have a shortstop available that's a dollar or two less. You're much better off prioritizing a different commodity that is harder to get. The force of something else is great, right? That's it, 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 what it is. It's about managing pressures throughout the draft. Oh, uh, do I need to take the catcher? Because if I don't take this catcher, it's really going to drop. Oh, do I need to take the third baseman? Oh, it's really going to drop. Shortstop, because it's so rich, you can wait. Or you can be pickier, I should say. At some point, you should take one. And it's just a question of you finding where there's the least amount of pressure to take shortstop. There'll just be more opportunities, if I might. Um, now, in terms of what I, well, the other thing I see about the middle infield position is stolen bases. So, according to ATC projections, counting all the players, not just draftable, all the players in the player pool, there are a thousand, about a thousand stolen bases available in the middle infield. And you need three of them if you're drafting in a standard five by five, 15 team roto. Um, in outfield, there's 1,275, although you need five of them, right? You need five outfielders. So, there's going to be less stolen bases per outfielder. Corner infield, only 350 in the player pool. Stolen bases, 120 for uh, um, for catcher, 120 stolen bases. Really not there. So if you think about it that way, there are a lot of stolen bases per player in the middle infield. That tells me that if you if you draft the middle infield, they've got to have some stolen bases or, you know, up between your three middle infielders that you get, you have to get a good chunk of stolen bases because you're probably not going to get it much elsewhere. A little bit in the outfield, but not much else. So that's something to be cautious when you're drafting. Do you agree with that, Mike, uh, in, in, in that assessment? And, you know, when you take a middle infielder, do you make sure that you grab stolen bases from them? I mean, not necessarily. So, you know, it's funny how we slice and dice all this stuff differently. I, I was looking at ATC, you know, to prep to come on, you know, your show. And I was looking at the 20 plus stolen base level. Um, ATC has more outfielders projected to, to clear 20 stolen bases than middle infielders. Now, yes, you need five outfielders. You, you need three middle infielders. You're correct. So it's, it's a different calculus. So I'd say you don't absolutely need to get shortstops three middle infielders. However, you should think very carefully about how you're going to construct your roster where the category is concerned. Um, if you draft uh, Corey Seager, for example, at short, it's not a great idea to draft Carlos Correa as your middle infielder. Um, it puts you in a position where you're really going to have to try to squeeze steals from almost every other non-catching slot on your roster, You know, unless, of course, you get JT Realmuto or, or Dalton Barsho. Um, catchers almost all don't run except for those two. First basemen don't really run very much. I mean, if a couple do a little bit, so it's something else to consider if you take a non-stolen you know, stolen base middle infielder outfielder. The thing is, though, we're all in the same boat and drafting from the same player universe, and, and we all have the same goals. You know, unless there's somebody out there, you know, drafting like 180, 200 steals, you can kind of see what's coming, you know, down on down the board or down the pike. I don't want to say it's easy to manage, but I don't think it's impossible to manage. You just probably the one thing more than the position is the draft slot. I don't like to go, you know, seven, eight, nine rounds and not at least have some speed on on my roster by that point. Yeah, and everyone looks at different priorities, and I'm glad, you know, not that we have different opinions, it's just that, as you said, we have different ways of slicing and dicing the player pool. 
Um, moving and if and if and if you look at the middle infield, according to ATC, of the top twenty middle infielders, most of them have either twelve to fourteen stolen bases or more. So you don't have to draft stolen bases. You probably will end up drafting stolen bases just based on their value, based on based on um, if you just go around a rundown and based on who's valued over who. So I I don't think that you have to draft stolen bases in the middle infield. I think you will end up doing it just because that's the way the the the, the tiles fall. I want to talk about two players quickly before we do the undervalued ATC players. John Birdie and Adalberto Mondesi. John Birdie, a lot of stolen bases. Will he get playing time? Not that great a fan, uh, a real baseball player. So if you're not playing that much, will you get a lot of playing time to help you yourself in fantasy? Uh, he was great for a stretch. He was terrible for other stretches. So question is, in what formats can you and can't you draft John Birdie, Mike. So for me, it, it's fifteen team mixed is and and you know obviously only is is the line and fifteen team mix and beyond. He he's very draftable. Uh, you, you can live with the times he's down. Um, you, you can even put him on your bench for a while if if he's hurt for a little you know little spell. And and honestly, if he's hurt for a long spell, I think you can still drop him in a fifteen team mixed. And you know it it, it kind of stinks, but you already got your value from him. A lot of people did that last year. Uh, 12 teams tough and 12 team mixed. Uh, if you have a moderate or deep bench, that, that's obviously fine, but a lot of those 12 team mixed leagues don't play that way. Uh, so in a standard ESPN league, I, I don't want him because it's such a small bench. Yes, the steals are valuable, but I, I don't want to be hanging on to John Birdie, you know, hoping that he has that month where, like he did last year, that he's completely lights out and, and is a difference maker. It could happen. It's just not something that I, I want to bet on happening again. Yeah, I, I kind of agree on that. Uh, and I'll go to you first, Ruvain, for uh, Mondesi. Uh, you know, we all know he has injury issues. We all know the story. Will he be the shortstop in Boston who was traded there? My guess is he will. I don't think Kike Hernandez is fantastic. So I think that he's going to fill in in shortstop. Maybe they'll just play him until he can't. But what what is your feeling on him? You're the injury guy. Tell me, uh, do you think he's going to get injured again and you know, where, do you, where would you draft him? I mean, people are all over the place with him because if he's healthy, I mean, we're talking 50 steals potentially, If it, and also if he can get on base. He's not that great at getting on base. I'm not really drafting at all. I, I drafted him two years ago, and I drafted I actually drafted John Birdie in a 15-team league last year. The most frustrating is having a stolen base guy in your roster, in your active roster during the week. They do nothing, take them out because they either get hurt or they don't like their schedule, and then they do they go crazy on your bench. I don't like having these players on my team. Adalberto Montesi, he had surgery, had an ACL surgery last May. Look how long Acuna took to come back. Acuna came back, he was running, he was great, but toward the end of the season, he started saying his knee is sore, he's, he lost his power. So Mondesi, everything is about his legs. His surgery is not even a full ACL, it's not even a full year since he had this surgery. I don't think you'll get much out of him April, May, maybe get something out of him June already. But at that point, what's his value? I mean, he's 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 not a, he's he does not gonna hit for average. He's not gonna hit for that much power. He's coming off the ACL injury. Look at what happened to Acuna. He 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 started very slowly and and, and his power almost disappeared toward the end of the season. So I'm a little bit nervous about having Amonesi on my team at all. And as for John Birdie, he is completely blocked. I think he's completely blocked from playing time. They just got Luis Arias. Yes, he's going to play first base, but his natural position is not first base. And they have Gene Segura. So you have both of these guys. They're assets to have on your team, but they, you shouldn't go into a draft saying, I want one of these two guys, because if you do, you're probably going to end up looking for steals somewhere else. 
Mike, do you envision having Mondesi on any of your rosters this year? I, I doubt it. And I, I think similar to Ruben, I, I was burned once, you know, I had that one year he had all that helium. I, I took him in the middle of the second round and a 15 teamer. It's kind of that, you know, burn, you know, fool me once, fool me twice. Uh, I, I'd say if I do wind up with him as a third middle infielder in a 15 team, that's as high as I'd go. Uh, maybe like in the 200s in that kind of draft overall. And if I do get him, I definitely want one of those boring middle infielders or second baseman we talked about behind him, you know, as insurance. If Modesty does get hurt, I'm not just scrambling and, you know, blowing fab on any old replacement, you know, especially after we've gone through, you know, 30 rounds of, of a draft where there's seven reserves and 23 active players. Um, in a 12-team league, I, I think he's kind of sexy as a later pick because it's like if, if he gets hurt, plenty of middle infield options in the free agent pool where it's like, yeah, you know what? He didn't work out. He was a late pick. You know, I took him, you know, 21st, 22nd round. You know, if, if he's there and if he's not, I don't care. But if he's there, great. I'll just take him. If he stinks, so what? I, I'll, I'll just go with somebody else at that point. I'll just add a couple points. First of all, in points leagues, these gentlemen really don't have much value. Um, in a backloaded league, what I mean by that is where there's playoffs and where the playoffs count, I would not draft a guy like Mondesi because there's a good chance he'll be out by then uh, just from his past history. I would not draft him there. And the other thing I'll say, though, is that with these two gentlemen and with any of these one-category speed players, I'm more inclined to draft him in a trading league, or especially in a league where there's a lot of trades, because I would not count on them for the stolen bases, but I don't mind developing a surplus. And, you know, you draft Mondesi for, you know, a low middle infielder, all of a sudden, he turns out healthy. Middle of the season, you've already banked a couple of steals. Trade him. If you have excess steals or if you have a surplus or something, then you can trade him. So I would use them as possible value gainers and assets that can grow because these guys can grow really quickly. And in trading leagues, stolen bases are a one commodity that everyone really wants. So I would think about – I would consider it in trading leagues um, in NFBC formats where there's – no trading. Uh, you probably won't see him on any one of my rosters this year. All right. Uh, one question before we go on to there. Start with Ruvain. Uh, very often we get some good play from bounce-back candidates, maybe players who underperformed last year, who maybe will regress up. Who are this year's bounce-back middle infield candidates, Ruvain? Okay, I have three of them, and they're all injury-related bounce-backs. Number one, Ozzy Albies. He only played 64 games last year. He only had eight home runs. He was, I think, his overall net worth last year was negative two, according to a five by five. Um, last year, I think it was all due to injury. He had a quote unquote normal offseason, which means he should be completely healthy, and you should expect what you got from him before he's coming back from a fractured finger. Brandon Lau only played 65 games last year. He also didn't do that well um, because he had a short he had a sore shoulder, he had a triceps injury, and it all stemmed from a back injury. He had a main he had a back injury. Um, the MRI came back only showing inflammation, no other issue. But I think that's what held him back. And I think Lau can actually back bounce back, not to probably to the to the 39 home run in 2021 level, but he can be a 25 home run player. And the third person. Wander Franco. He only played 83 games last year. He had wrist surgery. He even tweaked it when he was trying to come back. Um, I think this year he'll be perfectly fine. I think he's look, looking to bounce back. And that raised lineup with if Brendan Lau and, and Wander Franco, if they both get back on track, they can win the AL East. Mike, anyone else to add to this list? 
I mean, I, I have a few, but I'll, I'll just go with three as well. And, and two of them are also injury players. Um, one of them's Tim Anderson, missed a big chunk of time last year. He's not super undervalued, but I, I feel like he's being overlooked. Like he, he went from being a bad average hitter to being an almost automatic batting average hitter. And in Roto, that, that's a very underrated category. And he's going to come close to 2020, no matter, like, I feel what he does. Um, Jorge Polanco, you know, another injury guy. He was on his way to like 25, 30 home runs, about a 250 average before he hurt his knee. I don't think he'll run this year, but everything else will be there, and, and he's getting a discount. And then finally, I'm, I'm not in love with him, but but Javier Baez, um, they're, they're moving the fences in, and they're changing the configuration in Detroit. It's the prototypical first year of a new deal, you know, pressing too hard. Yes, there's some risk, but Baez isn't going anywhere near he, his ADP last year, and I feel he's coming in at a, a solid price. And Ariel, I suspect he's one of the shortstops you were mentioning before when you were talking about the depth of the position. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many to talk about, but absolutely, um, yeah, there's a lot of similar players to him uh, in the pool. Uh, I'll throw in three more names. Uh, how about Max Muncy, uh, who plays in a really good lineup? Uh, that's that's somebody to think about. How about Ketel Marte? He had an underperforming season. Maybe there's a bounce back there. And Jonathan India. Everyone was so high on India last year. Hey, he still has room to grow. So watch out for those bounce-back candidates. All right, we're going to do the ATC undervalued players. Again, we don't go through all the player pool on this uh, on our podcast here. Uh, Jose Altuve, everyone knows about him. Uh, we know about the good guys. But how about some guys in the middle and at the bottom who are undervalued according to ATC? And we'll deep dive them to see if we agree with ATC's assessment. All right, but before we do that, it's time for... The Injury Guru's Trivia of the Week. So we're going to jump in now to the undervalued players. So my question is going to be based on one of the players we're going to be talking about now. Which four players led the majors in infield hits last year? Mike, do you think you can get the four? I really don't. <laughs> this is middle infielders only? Middle uh, middle infielders. Which, which? No, actually overall. Overall. Which four players... Three of them, um, so yeah, three of them were middle infielders. Three of the four players who led the majors in infield hits last year. Who were they? Oh boy, um, just think speed. Yeah, um, birdie. No. Happy a high average. Uh, Andres Jimenez. No, Trey Turner was, was be, number one. Jimenez was going to be one of my guesses. <laughs> Trey Turner's number had thirty-three infield hits last year. Now, Mike, you just mentioned one of them, Javi Baez. Javi Baez had 22 infield hits last year. I would not Austin Hayes that. is the only outfielder on this list. He comes in with 23. But the player, the first shortstop we're going to be talking about, or first middle infielder we're going to be talking about, is Ahmed Rosario. He had 23 infield hits last year. He hit the ball on the ground over 50% of the time. So with his speed, he's able to beat it out. And then he's got a great batting average. I mean, he batted 287 in 2019. He batted 282 in 2021 and 283 last year. So it's pretty stable there. He's a good 10, 15 guy with a 15, 20 upside. His, his walk rate went lower, but so did his K rate. So that's not too much of a concern. And where he's going right now, I like the amount of speed that you can get from him. Yeah, Mike, you uh, unfortunately, this episode was a very hard trivia question. Sometimes it's easier, but <laughs> we both got pelted here on this one. Uh, but yeah, what are, what are your thoughts on Ahmed Rosario? Uh, according to ATC, he has about a $3 bargain 
He's going in the ninth round of NFBC drafts. Pretty nicely priced. And he steals. And he does a little bit of everything, actually. Is that a value for you? Yeah, you know, I, I think Rosario, and it, it's players like this, right? He's an underrated grinder. I, I, and I, the reason that he is a little underrated at ADP, I, I think some people don't really understand the value he brings with the boring contributions that, that Ruvain was just talking about. You know, that 10-15 or you know, last year's a little bit better than that and a plus batting average, and he's on a you know, really good Guardians team, so there's going to be some runs there regardless of where he is in the lineup. That really plays. Like, you don't want to push him too far up the list, and there's some better shortstops ahead of him. But, yeah, I, I, I think people forget that, you know, it's important to have a player like that. You don't need somebody who's you know necessarily going to hit 30 home runs or, or steal 30 bases at every slot. And you're not going to get somebody like that at, at every slot either. I, I find at this point in the draft people are chasing – you know, the 25 home run guy, regardless of steals, or like the 25 steal guy, regardless of home runs. And it's nice to have that balance when you can get it. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting about Rosario is that, you know, he had a really, really good year last year. He had a $21 year. Usually when you have that good a year, and it's much higher than where he was drafted at, um, usually the price goes up. Last year, he was drafted at roughly the same spot, maybe around later. But there's not a big jump, even though he had a $21 year. Um, so that, that that's really interesting to me, that, that people are not really paying a premium for him. And is he the type of guy, especially with those infield hits, is, is he the type of guy to keep up the batting average because of the shift a little bit with the bases? Maybe he'll... Maybe he'll run more. Who knows? I, I just see so many paths to value for him to keep it up. Cleveland's only getting better. I mean, they, they made the playoffs last year. He's really stable, as Ruvain mentioned, and he gets a lot of plate appearances. Now, a lot of his value came from the fact that he had 637 at-bats last year. Who knows if that'll remain, but they're constantly batting him in the two-hole. I mean, he literally batted there every single time. That's a fantastic spot. Strikeout rate is superb. It, it's being cut down. Um, he's got a just everything is there. Uh, I think that I think that he is just legit. He's this, there's not much more upside to this. You know, don't say, oh my god, he's going to blossom. I don't think there has to be. I, I I will take at this point in the draft the stability and in that big hot spot of shortstop that I mentioned. If he goes around over ADP and I'm st- sitting and waiting for a shortstop. Why not? I, I, I think he's a definitely a nice little value there. And you mentioned his at-bats. He's had over 588 plate appearances four of the last five years. The only year he didn't was in 2020 when he wasn't able to. Let's talk about Gliber Torres with the Yankees. Uh, he stopped playing shortstop, and look at the results. He had a $17 season, 24 homers, and 10 stolen bases last year. Looked great. Now, those earlier power numbers we saw in 2019 where he had 38 homers, that looked a little fluky. I think that that was the year of the juice ball. He also had um, just an outsized, outsized homer to fly ball rate there. Um, so you know, I don't expect those days to come back. But you know, he had twenty four, eight last year. ATC is projecting him for twenty one. Just pretty much a repeat, even just a little bit of regression. And he's still a sixteen dollar player, going for a nice small bargain. Plays second base. He's going roughly the same spot as Ahmed Rosario. To me, whoever falls a round or two later, and you know, there's a high probability that somebody's going to fall later, that's a great spot. I'm totally comfortable picking him as my 
short as uh, my second base, middle infielder, whatever. Um, I kind of like it. It's actually really good for a second baseman there. Thoughts, uh, Mike? Yeah, I like Torres too. So you know, it, it was encouraging to your point, Ariel, that the power came back. And yes, it was never going to come back to 2019. But I, I do also think that something that the projections don't aren't necessarily going to do is predict future growth. It's really easy to forget he's only 26 years old. He's been around a long, long time and had ups and downs. And I, I think we look at Torres as a seasoned veteran. But I'm not saying he'll get to 38. But there could be like a little bit more of a level here, like upper 20s. Maybe he he brushes with 30. He's a very talented player and, you know, someone who was hurt, I believe, by the pandemic and, and you know, with the, the stoppage of play there for a little while. I I, I don't want to overpredict him, but I, I think he could actually be a bit of a bargain. And just based on that, I, I'm kind of leaning a little bit him over Rosario, although I do agree with you. I, I'd be pretty happy with both of them, you know, where, where they're going right now. Yeah, ATC interskew is very negative at negative 1.3, and that suggests that uh, whatever ATC's projection, well, there's one outlier low, so actually if you threw away that outlier, ATC's projection would be even higher, uh, and he is so spread out categorically. Like, he, like he, his value comes from multiple places, including steals, everything. His run production is great. I mean, he, he had 73 runs, 76 RBIs. That's tremendous. It's five categories almost. Uh, so he's very stable, and you know I do risk-adjusted pricing. It adds another dollar and a half or so. So he's there, and and you know you're sa- you're seeing some growth potential. I'm saying that even without growth potential, he's still a nice little value right there. Uh, so I kind of like it. Ruvain, are you thumbs up on Gliber Torres? I am. I'm. I'm very thumbs up on him. And I'm, and listen, if you listen to the New York City uh, radio sports radio, you'd think that they, the Yankees would have the worst second baseman in all of baseball. They wanted to trade him. They wanted this. Wanted that. He beside. You know, he's been pretty stable. If you look at the numbers, I, he's a guy that you want on your roster, especially at this level. It's it's perfect. Um, the only thing I think will improve though is he had a 295 Babbitt last year, so I think his average will may be a little bit higher. And he and like Mike, you said, he's only 20. So for Glaber Torres, I think if he bolts up a little bit, there is still room for growth. Yeah. By the way, I mentioned Inter-SK, the ATC statistics. Um, I did a nice presentation at uh, PitchCon all about the ATC volatility metrics. So uh, if you want to spend a nice hour really diving into what they all mean uh, and some nuggets of who might get some bumps and all that, uh, check it out. It's on YouTube uh, at the PitcherList channel. Some, Some good stuff. All right, moving on to Jorge Polanco. Mentioned him earlier in the show. Uh, he's going at a really, really big discount, actually. He's going the 12th round, but he might have eighth-round production or something like that. That's huge. Uh, he was on the pace to doing great and you know, then had some injuries and some problems. He's not going to go back to where he was back when he hit 33 homers in 2021, sure. But if he bounces back to something in the middle, this is a huge, huge, huge uh, gain. Uh, you said, Mike, that the steals are not back, but are even if they're not, are you buying Jorge Polanco in 2023? I am. I mean, to, to the point I made before about Corey Seager and Carlos Correa, I, I do want to be a little bit careful and, you know, just watch what I have at that point with steals because and I'm looking at this as we're talking. Like, so, yeah, I mean, ATC has him for seven. That That's pretty modest. So, you know, if he only steals one or two, I, I don't think that's really – like taking much away, but, you know, looking at those 22 home runs I, I see projected, I could see him hitting, you know, a couple more than that. 
yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I think this is a really solid price and, you know, people are forgetting it. It's a knee injury. It doesn't look like a chronic injury. I'd, I'd have to kind of defer to Ruvain on that to know if it is or not. But yeah, I, I think he's a bit of a bargain. Your take, Ruvain? It's not a chronic injury. He injured his knee, sliding into home plate on August 15th. After August 15th, he only had six hits the rest of the season with one home run. So I, I think that the knee really hindered a lot of his value at the end of last year. His BABIP last year was only 269, so he was also hitting into some bad luck there as well. He only played 104 games. His launch angle increased. His fly ball rate went up, but his home run to fly ball rate went down, which is a little curious. I think he may have gotten a little home run happy early in the season after hitting 33 home runs in, in 2021. So I think you can really expect like a 22 home run single digit stolen base guy who maybe bats in the 260s. And my question for you on him is look at the profile and the stats, compare him to Gliber Torres. Isn't it really similar? I think I think they're very similar type players. Um, I I don't. I, the only difference is is I think the batting average. You probably get Jorge Polanco a little bit higher because I mean he did have a higher batting average in 2019. So I, I think you may get a higher batting average there. Um, but otherwise they're very similar players. Um, and I'll be happy with either either one of them at that point. If I think if I want more home runs, I think Gleyber Torres because he plays at Yankee Stadium more often than not. I think he would have more home runs in the, at the end of the season. So if you're looking for power, you go there. If you're looking more stability, I'd say go with Polanco. You're also getting a three-round discount. Polanco is being drafted in the 12th round, Torres in the ninth. So to me, it's similar profile, but you're getting a discount. So to me, it means that you can wait a round two. If Gleyber Torres slips two rounds, you draft him. If not, you can draft Polanco, and you know you get three-round discount from a potential ninth-round value. Is that how you see it, Mike? Uh, are, are, are you... Uh, are you more interested in Polanco for the greater discount because it's the same profile? I'm probably equally interested just because I, I see potentially, as I said before, a little more growth from Torres coming. Whereas with Polanco, it's not growth so much. I see him more bouncing back because of the injury or, or the lack of the injury this year. So I, I see them both as discounts. And, and if it was just straight without you know ADP, I, I'd prefer Torres. All right, let's talk about Vaughn Grissom of the Braves who after they dec the Braves declined to re-sign Dansby Swanson, looks like Grissom could be a starter and get some nice playing time. ATC is projecting him for 438 at-bats, 14 homers, and 16 stolen bases with a 277 average. He was definitely on that pace, or actually better, last year. Problem, though, is ATC is showing a lot of parameter risk. Projections are a little bit all over the place with him. He's also skewed positive, and... Who knows? He doesn't really look like he's going to get a lot of run production. Uh, depends on where he bats in the lineup. It's a good lineup, but maybe he'll bat ninth or eighth. So we'll have to see. Uh, but he is showing up as a $3 bargain. He does have upside, and those counting stats are look very, very tantalizing. ATC usually doesn't show bargains on rookies, so I'm. it's interesting to me. Um, really, really going to see where his price exactly falls, but he's... He's in that hot spot for me. He's somebody I would consider. Uh, what about you, Mike? Any thoughts on Vaughn Grissom? 
I, I'm probably agnostic on him, which means I, I won't get him. Like, I feel like he's fine at his ADP, but but people are going to jump that because of the rookie helium that happens in some drafts and, and people get excited. I, I do agree. Like, I, I look at ATC compared to the rest of the projections, and the non-ATC projections seem light on him and steals in general. Like, I get the variability, but it, it feels like all those other projections are really discounting someone who's a talented player. I do expect some struggles in his first full season, but he, he's in a really great organization for that. Like Atlanta is excellent at, at cultivating young players and working with them and getting them through their struggles. Um, the shortstop defense could be an issue that obviously doesn't matter for us, but where it does matter is if it's a close game and, and Atlanta wants better defense and they want to keep his confidence high, you could lose a, a plate appearance here and there and, and a little bit of stats if they take him out for defensive purposes. Are you buying a movie? I am buying him, and I'm not worried at all about his defense there because he is—he has the pedigree. He's the son of a former Montreal Expo prospect, Marquise Grissom, so he has the pedigree there. Um, his natural position in the minors was shortstop, so that's something to keep in mind as well. It's, it's not a Glaber Torres moving from second to short back to second. I'm not concerned about that. Um, and one thing that people have to be concerned about is when you're drafting, I mean, not concerned to be aware of, is that when you draft him, he's only eligible at second base right now. He's not eligible at shortstop, so be careful when you draft him, don't put him into your shortstop slot. You have to put him into your second base slot. Uh, that is a good point to mention. Next guy is Ketel Marte, who's the second biggest middle infield bargain, according to ATC, worth over $11 for a $5 auction equivalent. He's going late 15th round. But, uh, hey, I mean, he once had a $30 year. That ain't coming back. But uh, ATC has him 16 homers, 5 stolen bases. 267 average should get a decent lineup spot so the run production should be decent um risk metrics for atc are all really really good low low parameter risk he's got negative skew which is good he's very spread out in the categories where his value is um i mean in the 15th round to get a guy who's potentially worth multiple rounds higher at second base that's interesting to me too um i'm going to be in at this ADP. What about you, Mike? Yeah, same here. I mean, I he'll, he, he won't get back to 2019. I mean, a lot of players won't get back to 2019, but it doesn't really matter. Um, he's had chronic hamstring problems. Um, he won't run again. I don't think that matters much either because we're talking about a player who, you know, going backwards has stolen five, two, and, you know, one. So you're going to lose a couple steals maybe if they put the brakes on. I think my larger concern is that the hamstring injury has kind of impacted everything else. I mean, Marte's mentioned that, that, you know, he's, it's, you know, infected his hitting, it's affected his fielding. And what I really wish is I, I was looking for this before the podcast. I had more information about what he's been doing this off season as far as conditioning. I mean, we know historically like players with hamstring problems, it, it, you know, it can pop or something can happen and they miss time. I know he played last year for the most part, but, but that's my biggest concern is I, I don't want to you know, draft Marte and you know, get 80, 90 games out of him. That being said, I agree with you. Given his ADP, I, I think it's a great price. Yeah, ATC showing a lot of playing time. Um, interesting. Uh, again, it's all about his health. Ruben, can you comment about Marte's health? I think he's going to be perfectly fine. I'm more concerned about his approach at the plate. His batting average last year was 240, which is the lowest of his career. In a deep dive, pitchers were throwing him more off-speed stuff, and he just wasn't getting corrected with it. He, he wasn't the same batter that he was when people, when they were throwing more fastballs to him. So I think he needs to 
correct that more in the offseason than anything else. Conditioning, I'm not concerned about. I'm sure he'll be fine. What was positive about him is that his BABIP was very low, so I think that the, he'll, he was a little bit, had some bad luck. And the fact that he may be batting right behind a speedster like Corbin Carroll, second in the lineup, that is very enticing, especially because you know that Carroll's going to be stealing a lot of bases. Marte may be in a lot of positions to get early RBI, in early RBI situations, and you may see more of those. The next two players I want to group together are the Rockies guys, Brendan Rodgers and Ezekiel Tovar. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, the number one bargain for the middle infielders, according to ATC, about a $3 auction equivalent. He's going the 19th round of NFBC drafts. ATC has him worth $9, which is what he had last year. He had 13 homers, no steals, 266 average, uh, 72 runs, 63 RBIs. Um, that is it's just a nice little value, really unsexy, but it's just a, a lot of value for that 19th round. Um, you know, I don't really love the guy. Um, he's He has a career sub 100 WRC+. plus, But, but, Colorado, they're, they're not going to have to play the Dodgers as much or the Giants as much or in those really good pitchers' ballparks. So you might actually see some better home road splits um, for the Rockies. So maybe that helps them a little bit. And as far as Ezekiel Tovar, uh, Tovar has got more upside. Uh, Tovar is interesting. He's going 17th round. It'll cost you a little bit more. But he has, I mean, 10-10, 10 homers, 10 stone bases is in play. Maybe close to 2020 upside. Uh, I mean, it'll, you know, everything has to go right for that, but he has the skills. Question is, will he get any run production? Will he bat ninth? Will he be the starter? Uh, what, what's your take, Mike, on the Rocky situation with those two interesting middle infielders? Uh, well, to start with Rogers, it, it is a classic case. He, he was too highly rated last year. You, you alluded to this before, Ariel. I forget with which player. He's just too lowly rated now. I, I get it. Like he, he's a limited player. Um, even if he, you know, goes off, you're probably looking at 20 home runs, not 30. Um, the hard hit metrics did improve last year. The walk rate went up. The strikeout rate went down. These are all good signs. Uh, similar to Glaber Torres, he's 26. You know, he's not 29. I, I think there could be some more growth. Something underrated about Rogers in a format like NFBC. He's a last year. He was a great home start road bench player in in leagues that support this. Um, like most of his power came at home. Uh, had a great average at home. Um, if you're in a league like that where you can slide him in and out, I, I think he's a really sneaky good play if you compare him with somebody else. Um, you know, the thing about Tovar, uh, without a doubt, his, his glove is MLB ready. I, I'm just not sure about the bat. And yes, it, it's Coors Field, but I'm, I'm still not really sure. Uh, there was a great piece of baseball prospectus by one of our prospect guys, Jared Seidler. He talked a lot about how we don't as a community really look at organizations when it comes to player development and how some players were almost surprised like Jeremy Pena last year, he succeeded. It's like, well, he succeeded in part because the Astros are amazing developmentally. Uh, the Rockies to put it kindly are not. Um, so that that's my biggest concern with Tovar is even if he has the job opening day, he, he just might not do much. I mean, he could, I mean, he could, I, I think that ATC, which is what 14 home runs and 11 steals that that's, realistic and if that's what he does he's certainly a bargain um and i heard people comparing him to troy tulowitzki i think i saw in jeff zimmerman's minding the news where you know he, he talked about people in the rockies organization saying oh yeah he could be you know the two th 2007 tulowitzki where he struggled and then you know was gangbusters 
but we might get the 2008 Tulowitzki, which wasn't much power. And yes, Tovar has more speed, so he could still still steal 10 to 12 bases. But if you're looking at a guy who hits like seven, eight home runs with 10 to 12 steals, it's it's okay. I, I just don't think given all the other options at the position, you're going to be getting this great bargain. Yeah, I mean, Tovar has the one of the highest interprojectional standard deviations from ATC. I have some projection systems that have him at close to five stolen bases for next year and some close to 25 stolen bases. Uh, that's crazy. That's a crazy range. And I've seen this before for Rockies players. I mean, Garrett Hampson has had that. Has Garrett Hampson ever worked out for fantasy players? No. Another Rocky guy, another mismanaged guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I very much agree with your sentiment about Rocky's organization. And although ATC is showing a small bargain, when you risk adjust his price, I don't think so. Whereas Brendan Rodgers, for me, I, I think it's more stable, and the bargain is humongous. So, again, there's no upside there, but if I'm filling roster, especially in a deeper league, like in a 15-team or, or any mono league where you need the at-bats, you just want some production, I it's it's – Tremendous. Those are those are the guys who, to me, I'm not going to say win your league, but those are the guys who really get you, you know, going towards the uh, towards the top of the league. Ruvain, are you in on any of those two guys? Brendan Rogers, yes. Tovar, no. Brendan Rogers, he is the epitome of boring. 12 to 17 home runs, 60 to 65 RBIs, 60 to 65 runs. As a middle infielder, that's perfectly fine, and he's had those exact same numbers the last two years. He had those those numbers in the minors. You shouldn't expect anything else. There's little upside and very safe. As for Tovar, he only played, I think, nine games last year. So his carry was 25%, which is going to happen because he's only 21. There's going to be growing pains. But there's really no one else behind him. So I think the Rockies are just going to let him play. The only player that's behind him is Harold Castro. And I don't think the Rockies really want to see Harold Castro play ahead of Ezekiel Tovar. But the Rockies did crazy things with their lineup of for like like sitting other people that should have been playing so you can't really go by the Rockies and I agree Mike 100% the Rockies do not develop their players properly and I think they should have left them in the minors a little bit more get them a little bit more seasoned but that's not the way the Rockies work two more players to go we'll do them a little bit quicker one is Luis Garcia of Washington and I have to say there's as a guy who does some matching of projections Luis Garcia gives so many fits there's the pitcher, there's the other pitcher, there's the second baseman. Oh, boy. Uh, make sure you're taking the right stats if you're looking at different spots. But Luis Garcia, uh, thoughts, Mike? Any interest, any upside for him on Washington? He is multi-eligible at second and short. I don't know if that makes a difference to you, but uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, he has some upside. It, it looks like the upside is mostly in power. We, we could be looking at like 13 to 15 home runs and, and some improvement. Uh, he's mostly, I think, kind of one of those boring deeper league players. He, he's not someone I'm looking to, to take this giant step forward. Um, he's also on the Nationals. That's going to affect his runs and, and RBI a little bit. That that lineup looks like it's really going to be abysmal. But, it, you know, at his price, at his ADP, I, I think he's fine. Like, I, I'm, I'm not going to, like, you know, bury Luis Garcia. I, I'm just not expecting him to take a huge step forward either. And, Ruvain, let's go to you on the last player, Nick Gordon. He is the brother of D. Is it Strange Gordon? Or D. Gordon, the batting average stolen base guy from a couple years ago. Uh, he has good potential. Again, he can go 10-10, like he almost did last year. He can go 20-20. Will he get enough playing time in Minnesota? They just imported an outfielder. 
uh, in Michael uh, Taylor. They did get rid of Arias, so maybe a little bit more spots in the infield. Uh, what's, what's your thoughts? Uh, does he get 400 at-bats? Does he make the next step? I see somebody to watch as a uh, sleeper here, Jorge Mateo-esque. I don't think so. I don't think he's the guy that's going to be really much on my radar. I don't think he's going to get that much playing time. If the Twins are competitive early on and he's not playing well, then he may be the odd man out because they still have Royce Lewis, who's also a shortstop, and Nick Gordon plays shortstop as well. Obviously, they have Correa there already at shortstop. But if you want a shortstop outfield blend, they have a speedster prospect, Austin Martin, who's possibly coming up this year. And if they're doing well and they want to insert him even ahead of Nick Gordon, I think Nick Gordon is going to be the man with the who man with the less playing time. Any thoughts otherwise on this, uh, Mike? No, it's it's pretty much dead on. I, I, I he's a tough sell and mixed. I I think in AL only he, he could be okay because of, of the speed he has as your final middle infielder. But and, and he'll get some some playing time as the backup and, and utility guy for the Twins. But I I agree. I, I don't see him as a starter for very long. I have a couple of questions. Uh, Moneyberg asks, in a traditional 5x5, do you think Javi Baez is underrated? Jeremy Pena and Baez are separated by 50 picks, but I don't see the difference between both of them. Good points. Want to respond, Mike? Yeah, I agree. I I have the two of them very close, and and as I said before, I I see some bounce back with Baez, and I suspect part of what's happening is, is, you know, Pena had a great playoffs. He he was, you know, noticed there. I think if he didn't have that, the price would be lower. It, it's psychologically the last thing we see. We, it, it tends to affect us. Affect us. I'm nothing against pain. I, it just feels like the two of them should be closer. I agree 100%. Anything to add, Ruvain, or that's good? No, I, I think that's perfect. I think Baez is a quote-unquote little more safer guy because you never know if, if Pena will go through a sophomore slump. Zach asks, how do you approach the Orioles' middle infield of the season? Is it Frazier at second, Mateo at shortstop for the bulk of the season? Do you anticipate Mateo being traded and Westbrook coming up? Mateo's defense is unreal, but his lack of bat makes his everyday shortstop role unsteady. What about Gunnar Henderson? Is he going to play some shortstop? I kind of think that Mateo is going to be squeezed out a little bit of playing time. You, do you agree with you, Mike? It's really hard to say. Like I, I look at it, and there's all sorts of alignments and configurations. It, it sounds like the Orioles really want to commit to Henderson at third and, and just kind of go there. But if they do that, then it's like, well, I, I think you kind of have to start Mateo, at least the way the roster's configured now. Uh, but Mateo's one of those players we love in fantasy because of the steals. I, I just don't know how, how sustainable he is. You know, if that on-base percentage gets any lower, I, I just feel like the Orioles are going to have to do something else. Um, Ramon Arias theoretically could play short, but again, defensively, it's not really what you want. Uh, and I, I think Adam Frazier is going to be more of what he's been in the past, like a, a utility. He'll play everywhere. He'll he'll give people rest. He'll he'll give the Orioles an opportunity to keep the team fresh. He'll get his plate appearances regardless of whether he's starting or not. Um, it, it's Mateo who, who's the tough one. And, and then the other the other name there I think you might see uh, later in the year is uh, Joey Ortiz. I, I think you might see him uh, down the pike in the second half. Kyer asks, I'll go to Ruben first, Andres Jimenez, uh, can you see him maintaining the gains he made in average last year and becoming a top five second baseman? 
I don't know about top five second baseman, but I can see him maintaining what he did. Um, he he did it in the shortened season. I believe it was with the Mets at the time. Um, I think he or with the, or the year before in 2019, he has the potential to be what exactly what he is. I don't think there's much more room. I think he's close to his ceiling. That's why a combination of both him and Ahmed Rosario as a middle infield is just amazing. There's so much speed there. There's so much, I wouldn't say upside, but there's so much um, ability to score runs just out of those two and produce runs just out of those two players that he's not going to be a top five second base. I know that's a little bit too much of a stretch, I would think, but I think he can, he's, he's an all-star quality second baseman. 353 Babbitt last year. I kind of think this was his career year. Mike, any, any thoughts? Yeah, I, well, the thing is, I, I think he's going to slip, but I, I worry about his average a little and, and his power more. It, it's funny, the projections all have, have him ranging from 15 to 19 home runs. Uh, if he dropped to 12 to 13, I, it wouldn't shock me. And yes, I know it's it's not that much variability, uh, but he should stay in the top five or six at second base just because it's more the names below him aren't going to run as much, aren't going to contribute as much all around. Uh, so it, I, I think he'll hang in there at, at five or six at the position, even if he does slip a little bit. Bomo asks, do the bigger bases and pitch clock benefit Trey Turner since he'll steal more, or does it hurt him since he won't be the only guy stealing bases anymore? Uh, I kind of think that he himself, in terms of his raw counting stats, will be unaffected. I don't think Turner will steal any more than he has before because of it. Maybe he gets on a little bit more because of the shift, but I don't think he's stealing more bases. But in terms of his value, theoretically, stolen bases will be up this year. So stolen bases will be devalued slightly. Don't think it's going to be all that much. But And for him, I mean, he's so highly valued and he's great in other categories. So he won't lose much of his value personally. But yeah, theoretically, a slight devaluation. Uh, do you agree, Mike? Yeah, probably. We we could do a whole podcast on this subject though about the <laughs> the bases and the you know holding players and, and valuation. You know, same about Turner's his steals have dropped a little bit the last few years. And I feel like without the rule change, they might have continued that that slide, you know, not not to like fifteen, but maybe like twenty four or twenty five. And and the new rule might cancel it out. Um, but yeah, I, what's really tough is that I'd expect steals to go up maybe three to 500 league wide, uh, which means it'll probably all cancel out. But Turner's a valuable enough player that, okay, so he's not number one or number two overall or, or you know top five overall. Maybe he's top 10. I, I don't really think it matters that much. I mean, if you're going to tell me that a player is going to finish top 10, and he's the number one overall pick to, to me. Like, like, here's another thought question for you, Mike. You know, if I were to guarantee you stats uh, of the number, let's say, 20th best player, right? I'm going to give you a guarantee. You can either take player X. You can take Julio Rodriguez or Acuna, one of those. Or I'll give you whatever the 20th best player stats are. What are you taking between the two? An, an uncertain, uncertain, really, really super top guy or the 20th best player? I'm probably taking the 20th. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yes, 100%. How far does that go, by the way? Like, if I said 30th, would you then say, well, you know, Acuna, better chance of making that. I'll, I'll take my chances. Like, what, how far does that slip for you that you, you'd say, uh, uh, no, I, I'm going to take the uncertainty? Yeah, I, I got it. Well, here's a question for you. Thir what is 30th? Um, you probably know this better than I do. What's the dollar value typically of that 30th pick? Uh, 30th pick, I'll tell you. 
Look it up. Uh, it is about $25. Yeah, so so 25 is about what the, the average first-round hitter tends to earn. So 30 is right about where I'd start being like, hmm. And that's average. So keep in mind right. that, you know, that first-round pick, you could hit the jackpot and get, you know, the 2020 version of Aaron Judge. Or you could get somebody who gets hurt or, you know, even a Bo Bichette who wasn't awful. But, you know, you're, you're not exactly, like, doing cartwheels about that either. So I thirty is about where I it, it's the border is. Sounds about right to me. It sounds good, moving. Yep, it's, it sounds good. And the skills that Turner brings to the table, they're not going to. They, I don't think they're going to decrease so much over the course of the year. He's almost a quote unquote sure thing for stolen bases. While the other players, yes, we all think that stolen bases are going to go up, but we don't know what's going to happen with it. And and just knowing that you're going to have this top twenty five guy, I'd rather have this guy than someone who you think is going to steal more because of the new rules. You know, take a guy like Pete Alonso. This is a corner infielder. Um, you know, I know we're talking about middle infielders of the show, but Pete Alonso is going to mash homers. We know he's going to mash a lot of homers, and homers are going to go up in value comparatively to the rest because the ball is is more deadened, and because stolen base are going to be up. So, in any case, you know, uh, uh, homers are going to be worth a little bit more. Uh, I have to think he's going to finish a top forty player, thirty probably. Um, if you agree with that. Does that make Pete Alonso more valuable in your opinion? Like, should we be pushing Pete Alonso up close to the first round? I mean, if you agree with that, yes. Um, okay. <laughs> it, it's. I mean, it, it's just one of those things where, and it's just the way I think projections work versus, like, nobody projected Aaron Judge to hit 62 home runs. And I, I think I even wrote something last year, which, of course, looks stupid in retrospect, that, you know, you shouldn't expect him to hit 50 like that. That was correct. Like nobody should have even expected 50 home runs from judge, but they're outliers. And I, I guess what it comes down with Alonzo is if you think that Alonzo is the home run outlier this year and, and you, you know, believe that, yes, like push him to the first round. I, I think the reason you don't do that is everything else, particularly the, the absolute lack of steals or virtual lack of steals. And the fact that he's not close to elite and average, and the average has gotten better, is is why you don't like. I'm I'm fine with Alonzo in the second round. I I just wouldn't want to push him up to the first for that, those reasons. Right, right. All right. Well, really, really good discussion here. Uh, we have the injury update, Ruvain. Do we have any middle infielder injuries to talk about? Well, yes, we talked about a few of them already. I mentioned Ozzy Albies. He fractured his right pinky finger mid September. And like I said before, he's had no restrictions in the offseason. He should be coming into spring training perfectly fine and no problem. We mentioned um, Mondesi already. He had a torn ACL that was repaired in May. Um, he was traded to the Red Sox. And what was the first thing the Red Sox said? Oh, yeah, he may not be ready for opening day or spring training. That's not what you hear <laughs> on someone who just got traded. So that's, I don't know why that came out right away. That's probably the worst PR that the Red Sox could have possibly done. Guy who's also coming back, Fernando Tatis, has been was cleared to resume baseball activity and took swing and took batting practice starting January sixth. So this is the first step to get back. I don't know why he was so back. He was so backlogged already because of this. Because he should he seemed ready to go back into um, baseball uh, before the suspension. And you have to remember he is going to he is required to sit for the first twenty games. So make sure that you know, that factors into however you rank the players. And another player. This is a really a fringe guy, but Nick Ahmed. Um, he had a shoulder injury um he was out for a good portion last year um he missed i believe he missed the entire second half of the season because he had shoulder surgery to fix a labrum so um he's a full go he's expected to return for the start of spring training and if you wanted to if you really need to go really really deep or you're in a, a draft and hold type uh, situation nick ahmed is a guy to look at 
Tatis. I think you have to talk. When you're talking middle infield. You have to talk about him because he's expected to. I mean, when he plays, he's super duper. And I, I haven't seen evidence to the contrary, but the shoulder injury and the shoulder surgery that's major. And besides all the other hanky panky that he does, does that concern you, Ruvain? Still, I mean, what are your thoughts on him? Is he going to last a whole year? He probably will, and I don't know if it's going to be this year because you're not going to get. Obviously, he's going to be a slow start because he's if he's all ready to go by spring training, he can participate in spring training, can do all that. But then he has to stop for 20 games, and then he has to ramp up again. So the fact that he has to do that, you may he may hopefully he'll be ready for when he returns. So he'll be in baseball shape, quote-unquote, but even knowing that, you're not going to get a full season at him this year already. You don't know what the quality you're going to get from because he is, you know, this is this is all new to him. He hasn't, play, he hasn't played a game of baseball in so long. That's a little bit of concern. That's similar to like, um, I think we're going to talk about outfielders in another episode, like Michael Conforto. We have no clue what's going to happen with him. He did not play all of last year. He's got question marks hanging over him. So how do you draft someone who you... You know he's going to be good, and I'm not comparing to Conforto. Believe me, I'm not, because Tatis is an all-star caliber. He can be a number one player in all of fantasy. But you don't know what you're going to get at him to start with. You don't know what you're going to get out during the course of the season, and you don't know how things are. He's such a question mark that why would you want to take him with a first-round pick? I, I, if you going back to the conversation, do you want a top twenty guy or do you want a guy with the upside? Tatis is right now is the guy with that upside. I think I'd rather have a safer pick. Yeah, Mike, are you going anywhere near Tatis? He's being drafted like number 18 right now. Yeah, that's that's fair, which, you know, probably means I don't get him. Like w- what that means is that somebody is going to going to push him up. Um if if he's sitting at the back end of the second round for some reason and you're like late in the second and that's where I'm picking, I could see him landing on my team, but I'm I'm with you. I I don't really want to make that pick i i appreciate the upside which is why i would take him in the second round but but all that risk we talked about is legitimate and it's why i won't take him in the first even though i know he he could be um the number one player we, we had the template in ron lacuna jr last year right like acuna there was positive news people got excited and he had a really good season and, and the steals were, were great and really propped up his value but he did not return what he was drafted at be you know just because he was coming back he was ramping up he you know they needed to do load management which completely made sense it was very smart of atlanta to do but it impacted his value um just for everyone just about tatis in terms of eligibility because didn't really play last year uh, you should really check uh, you with your league what he's eligible at. I believe in the NFBC he's eligible at both shortstop and outfield. Uh, have, have you seen anything else other than that? Are, are, are people only giving one or the other? He's definitely going to play outfield, right, because they, sa- they signed uh, Bogart. So he's not going to play shortstop. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in most formats he's shortstop outfield, but I, I would check. Like, I know, like, I don't think ESPN is published yet, and, and sometimes they, they make some really, like, wonky decisions where stuff like that's concerned. I don't mean to, you know, pick on ESPN and my, my friends Eric Carabell and Tristan Cockroft, but, you know, they, they don't control that, by the way. If you're you're listening, don't don't call them or, you know, text them. But, <laughs> yeah, like, uh, they, it's you might have a situation like that where ESPN says he didn't play last year, he's outfield only, so definitely make sure, you know, before you commit to him being at shortstop in a scenario like that. Yeah, well, definitely that's uh, that's a premium player with, with multi-eligible position if, uh, if he has it. Uh, who knows? Uh, I'm probably not touching him because somebody will push him up, and I'm just not interested. In that, I'd rather draft Alonzo or uh, Devers or Mike Trout. I 
Uh, he's being pushed into the middle of the second round? Wow. Uh, Trout seemed interesting. But that's for another time. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for coming on the show. Mike, why don't you just tell everybody uh, where they can uh, read your work and uh, all things Mike Gianella. So I'm a baseball prospectus. Um, <laughs> there, there's some I write about two articles a week. One's an ADP deep dive preseason. The other's a, a tier ranking at all the positions. Uh, there's some talk, although we have it hasn't happened yet, of getting our flags fly forever podcast back Ooh. up. So hopefully that'll be back soon. Uh, and then finally, um, I'm at Twitter at Mike Gianella. That's all one word. Um, I'm sure you'll see the spelling on this podcast. Um, and you can find me there, not nearly as much as I used to be, but still occasionally tweeting about baseball and other stuff. Amazing stuff, Mike. This is a fantastic show. Uh, and thank you for coming on. Um, Ruvain, how about you? Uh, tell us about your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out all these injuries updates. And I do an in-season article with Rotoborla, which will discuss all these players who are injured, who are when they're coming back, next man up, and everything like that. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can find my work over at Fangraphs at Rotoballer. Uh, ATC projections are up and out, so check them out. Uh, they're being updated roughly once a week right now. Um, probably be a little bit less until we get to spring training, but spring training is coming up soon. Uh, so uh, stay tuned for that, and then news will come in fast and furious, and uh, it'll be up to me to keep up with the news to get you the best projections and the most accurate uh, up-to-date news. So there you go. Uh, and, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, and you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. We're going to have more position previews. We'll do our auction uh, strategy show. Uh, that's always a, a favorite of everybody, so tune in for that. And, uh, yeah, that, that would be great if you do have the opportunity to come out to Florida for First Pitch Florida. Uh, Mike and I will be there. Uh, we'll be drafting in the labor the labor auctions. So it's a really, really good program. And um, I do enjoy the first pitch Arizona, but doing the first pitches right before the season, then you get, you know, hey, t here's a sleeper. Here, think about this guy. It's really relevant stuff that you can use immediately the following week when you draft. So consider coming. Really great panels, really great people, and uh, a good time. Yeah? But, Mike, we'll, we'll, we'll see you there. You will. And I, I did find out while we were talking that my draft is, is Friday. So, um, thankfully, I don't have to reshuffle flights or, or hotels or anything like that. Ah, okay. Because I, 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 we were talking before the show, and uh, I, I was telling Mike, oh, I think your draft is on Saturday. And apparently, no, they switched it this year, and they put the uh, – NL on the Friday and the AL on the Saturday evening. So, And uh, oh, this will all be broadcasted, by the way, by SiriusXM Radio. Uh, and you can follow it live on RT Sports. RT Sports is actually phenomenal for tracking auction bids. It actually lists the bids as they're coming up live. So really worthwhile watching. Uh, I, I enjoy. I, I get a lot of information out of watching auctions. But, Ruvain, when, when you were there with me uh, in first pitch, we were – Watching the auctions, we got so much information as to who was bidding, how people were bidding, and whatnot, right? Yeah, we and we started seeing some better trends because a lot of the trends we see now are not necessarily from auctions, and you don't see many auctions until now. So we, that you're going to see how players are being, how how players who are in the fantasy world are dealing with certain you know situations, whether it's a, a fighting and playing time, and and how people are valued. All right. Well, anyways, that's the end of our show. Thanks again to Mike Gianella for coming on the show and from all of us here at Beat the Shift. We'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.